of you don't know this, um, and, and we'd love to have you guys, like, like we said, after church next Sunday uh, for Discovering RCC. I would love to get to know you a little better in a little more intimate setting. But next, uh, next Saturday, we have ShareFest. Um, when we started, we're, we, we started almost four years ago. September 9th will be our four-year anniversary, and we started down the street at a church called Wayside, a Methodist church. They were gracious enough to let us use their church or rent their church, and, but we had to meet at 4 o'clock. And then about eight months later, six, eight months later, this thing called ShareFest came around, and we decided we were going to uh, we uh, work on Eshelman Elementary School because it was right down the street from where we were meeting, right? And so we did our ShareFest project here, and when we were here, it was like this God-ordained moment where we got to meet some of the teachers, some of the administrators, meet the principal, and we kind of just fell in love with them. We fell in love with this school. And, and then we just, uh, through that, we, we, we got the opportunity to start meeting here, and we were able to meet at 1030, which is a much better time. Um, you guys would be doing something else and then go for a bike ride this afternoon and then go, oh, I don't think I'm going to go to church because I'm already tired. That's kind of what was happening. So we get to meet here. But along the way, like I said, we fell in love with this school. And so every year we've had the opportunity to, 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 to do ShareFest here, to work on projects. And I just want to share with you what that means to me. When we come here, I look at it like this. We're basically writing a love letter that we're going to deliver on Monday morning to a bunch of kids and teachers and people who love this school. We get to do these like work projects that are all doable, and, and everyone contributes a little, and we get a lot done. And, and you just hear stories on Monday of the kids who showed up. If you walk out there, you'll see this awesome dodgeball court. Our goal was to make it look like an NBA court, right? And they felt like that. They felt like, man, we're superstars playing dodgeball, right? And this year, we're going we're gonna to redo all the lines on the basketball court. And we're going to plant some things. And you know what? The teachers are going to get here and go, man, this job is hard, but somebody supported us. It's going to be us. And not only that, um, this year, we have people from the school and the community who have wanted to partner with us. They said, we've been helping out. How can we be more a part of the leadership of this? So now we have these people partnering with us. And I just look at it like this. We get an opportunity to shine for Jesus to all of these people who are going to be working with us, who are going to be experiencing the blessing of the love letter that we're going to write next Saturday. And so here's what I want to ask you guys. I want to ask all of you, if you can be here, please be here. And if, and if you know you're going to be here, please sign up because it helps us prepare I know in the South Bay we like to keep our options open, and what if something else happens? Don't let anything else happen. Make this a priority. It's important. It, it, really, it really emulates who we are in, in the fact that we're a, we're a simple, genuine, praying, Bible-loving, relational church that wants to point people to Jesus, right? And that's all that ShareFest really is, right? It's a chance for us to come, be relational, serve, love, and point people to Jesus. Does someone want to volunteer just to pray right now for our time next Saturday in ShareFest? Awesome. Amen. Now you guys can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. 
So John chapter 7 is, is, is a, a really an awesome chapter. We just got done with three weeks going through John chapter 6. It's the longest chapter in the New Testament. I don't know if you guys knew that, a little jeopardy for you. Uh, and, and basically, this is what you need to know to kind of jump in today in case you haven't been following along with us. Jesus is now in the, in the middle. He's probably about two years into his three to three and a half year ministry. In, a, in less than a year from the time we're going to read about today, Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem on, uh, on Passover and he will not leave. Right. He's going to die on a cross. Well, he will leave. He's going to rise from the dead and he's going to ascend to heaven. But that's 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 still about uh, almost a year off. Today we're going to enter into to, to the, the, the Feast of Booths, right? The, the, the time of Sukkoth, which, which is what they would have called it, right? It's another feast where all of the Jewish people would have went to Jerusalem. We're going to see that. But, but as Jesus is, is, is doing his ministry, right? He's going in this region of Galilee. Then he's going to the region of Judea, which is where Ju- Jerusalem is. And Samaria is in the middle of that. So he's kind of, you, you'll see him crossing in there. And what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? He's really being very Jewish, right? He's, that's a normal rhythm of the Jewish. But there's two things that Jesus is doing that are not normal at all. And the first one is this. Jesus is performing miracles. We see Jesus is performing miracles. It's safe to say we see Jesus performing miracles. And then the next thing we see, Jesus performing miracles, and he's claiming to be God. Jesus is performing miracles, and he's claiming to be God. Now, some he's become wildly popular because of this and what i mean by that is everybody's heard of jesus at this time everybody's heard of jesus lots of people are talking about jesus some people have questions about jesus they don't know and a lot of people have hard uh uh uh, opinions about who jesus they've already figured it out and they differ right and it's safe to say that he is highly controversial Controversial just meaning that there's a lot of difference of opinion, lots of people talking about him. So we're going to walk into this story today, and we're going to see this Jesus who's doing miracles and claiming to be God and how the people are responding to him. And it's very relevant to what we s- experience today uh, when, we, when we think about this Jesus. So responses to Jesus, the person, is going to be our first section And the first thing we're going to see is we're going to see those who hate Jesus, right? No surprise. Some people hated Jesus. So John chapter 7, verse 1 and 2 says this. says, after this, what that means is for about two years, he's been been roaming around the area of Galilee, and then three times a year, he goes to... uh, uh, Jerusalem for these feasts, and then he goes back, and, he, and, he, and every once in a while he'll go through this place called Samaria, right? And you'll see interaction like the woman at the well. He's being very Jewish, right? After this. And he's performing miracles, and he's claiming to be God. That's what after this means. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths, or Sukkot, was at hand. Now, we have a map here, just so you can get a little bit of a picture. Uh, I think we have a map. Yeah. All right. Well, this isn't the map I was thinking of. Well, <laughs> the map that I was thinking of, you, you would have kind of seen, if you were to look at a map of a first century kind of Galilee, you've got the Sea of Galilee, and then down here you have Jerusalem. It was thought of as two regions, like we get the region of the South Bay. We live in the South Bay. Did you guys know that? 
right? The region of Galilee was like that. It was a region. And then there was the region of Judea, and Jerusalem was in there. And Jesus spent most of his time in Galilee, right? And then three times a year at, th- at what they called the Pilgrim Feast, right, was Passover and then Pentecost and then this Feast of Booths. All the Jewish people, they would go to Jerusalem, and they would pass through Samaria or they would go around it. Jesus liked to go through it, which was kind of rare for Jewish pe- the, the Jewish people, right? And right now it's saying he's in this region of Galilee where he spent l- most of his time, right? And he, and he doesn't really go to Judea very much because he's been doing miracles and claiming his God. And there's people that in there that want to kill him, right? That's what this is saying. These people want to kill him. So my first thought as I look at this is this. Jesus is performing miracles, and he's claiming to be God, and this is becoming a problem. <laughs> this is becoming a problem for many people. And, and you, might, you might say it like this. It's becoming a crisis of belief. It's a crisis of belief. In, in, uh, in Matthew, um, where is it at? Let me, let me give you the, the thing because some of you guys are awesome. You're going to go check. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus makes this awesome comment. He goes, I didn't come to bring peace. Isn't that a weird comment for Jesus to make? Do you know he said that? He goes, I didn't come to make peace. Do you think Jesus came to make peace? He goes, I didn't come to make peace, but I came to bring a sword. What does he mean by that? He means he came being who he is, not being who you want him to be, if that's what you need in order to have peace. Jesus came, and it was a problem. It was a crisis of belief. You had to believe. You either rejected him or you accepted him. I think it's safe to say this. Jesus was a man, and he was God. And he came and he was performing miracles and he claimed to be God. Now either, those are the facts, either you're going to reject that or you're going to believe that. And all of these other people are trying to figure out some other place to be and they just can't figure out how to do it. Because, the, because who Jesus is isn't letting them. And it's a problem. And it's bothering them. To the point where someone want to kill him. Right? Someone want to kill him. And my first thought here is why put so much passion into hating jesus you ever think about that i get it you don't like him but why put so much passion into hating jesus right this wasn't a passive rejection this was a violent i want to kill him that's a violent hate when you get to the point where you actually want to kill somebody that's beyond just like i don't know if i believe in him (laughs) right why so much passion and i think about that today I know people who, who, who I love and I'm friends with and I talk with them and they claim to be agnostic or they claim, they claim to not believe there's a God at all. And I always ask them, many of them are just like very brutal towards Jesus and Jesus followers. Like, what's that passion about? Why is it a big deal to you? If you don't believe it, why don't you just like ignore it? There's so many things we ignore, right, that we don't believe in or, we, we just, or other people believe in. Just, I, don't, I don't waste my time on that. Why so much passion? Here's my theory. Here's my theory. My theory is this, because it's true. (laughs) Because there's a spiritual realness about who Jesus is, right? And there's a spiritual enemy. And anybody, there's a spiritual uh, direction that wants to hate Jesus, right? They want to pull people away from Jesus. And you're either going to believe him, or you're going to be on this other side. And there's no, like, neutral about it. He just, he gets under your skin. He's... Doing miracles, he's claiming to be God. Either he is God, or then who is he if he isn't God? That's a problem. That's a problem. So that's my theory. Now, now to be saved, here's the thing. Some people say, I don't hate Jesus. 
but they reinvent who they believe he is. They don't, they don't hate, they, they say, they, I'll just change who Jesus is, and then I like that Jesus, right? Like, he's just a good guy, good teacher. Yeah, I love that Jesus, but I don't like the Jesus that the Christians like. And the Christians shove down my mouth, or whatever they're going to say, right? I don't like the Jesus who was performing miracles and claimed to be God. I like to change the story. Maybe he didn't claim to be God. Maybe he wasn't that guy. Now, here's the, 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 the next thought that I have. Now, some will say that the Bible is just an, really, it's an exaggeration. It's not really the things that Jesus did and the, and the things that Jesus said. It's an exaggeration made up long after by his followers. They said, oh, this is, they, they, they kind of made up some story. They exaggerated the stories about Jesus. You ever heard that? Now, it's a, it's a valid thought, but if you investigate it a little bit further, it, it can't hold water. It can't hold water. Jesus either, he was a man that, that, that did miracles and claimed to be God. And, and here's, here's, why, here's one of the big cracks in that thought. If, if you think, maybe, maybe, maybe years later, they exaggerated. Well, we know this. They wrote about him, these letters that we're reading, about 20 to 30 years after he was, after, after he was crucified. 20 to 30 years, not a long time later. And we still have a lot of those early manuscripts. And we can compare them to what we have today, and there's no, there's no viable um, problematic differences. Just little syntax and stuff like that. So, so 20 to 30 years later, if they were making it up, it would have never taken off. It could have never taken off to be, to, to be this religion that still exists today. And I'll give you an example. A few years back, I like to watch kind of history channels, and there were there was this. We're at work at the firehouse, and they were they were showing about these neo revisionist historians. And one of the things they were saying was they were saying the Holocaust never happened. They were saying it just it was just an exaggeration. Some stuff happened, but it was an exaggeration, right? What's the problem with that? Why didn't it take off? Because it was at the time the documentary was it was forty five years before that that it ended. And there was still people they were interviewing on the thing that, that survived the Holocaust. They were there. They could, they could still say, like, no, ha- you can't say this didn't happen. It happened to me. I was there. That's 45 years later. These were written 20 years later. Do you think that it could have, it would have been the same thing? People would have said, no, I'm there. Or I wasn't there. There's no way that you could say that they just made these things up later. Jewish historians like Josephus Right, who didn't believe in Jesus. He was a non-Christian historian that wrote at Jesus' time. He claims Jesus was a man who did miracles and claimed to be God. That's who he is. What you do with that, now that's, that's a whole other story. Now one of the problems that we see in this is that Jesus' haters, they aren't seeking to know Christ. Right? What are they seeking to do in this, in this text? They're seeking to kill him. They're not seeking to know Christ. They've hardened their hearts and their ears are closed. For those who have decided to hate Jesus, for those who have decided to hate Jesus, or at least the Jesus that the Christians portrayed, the Jesus who did miracles and claimed to be God, not just the moral teacher that they've invented, but, but, but for that Jesus, any new information that they receive any new information they receive is often, is often uh, not effective in changing their mind. You guys notice that? 
You ever talk to someone who doesn't believe? And you, here, here's some of my thoughts. I thought, if we could just be more like Jesus, right? We, we, we might even preach, I might preach this sometimes. If we could just uh, be more like Jesus, then, then the people out there would becoming Christians like, 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 t- like I tap dance, right? Like it would just be like, like that's the secret, right? If we could just be more like Jesus, everyone would be turning to Jesus. You ever thought that? Or here's the other one. Man, if we just had a better apologetics game. You know what we need here? We need more classes to teach us how to, how to refute all of the, the arguments against, you know, all these things. If we just had a better apologetic scheme, if we just had all of the answers, then all these people would, would turn and follow Jesus. You ever think that? Well, well, let me just throw this thought, let me just roll this, bowl this, bowl this thought into, into those thoughts. There's never been anybody more like Jesus than Jesus. And there's never been anybody who had better answers to all of their questions. You ever just read through the Gospels and you go, wow, this guy's a genius. No, he's even better than that. He's God. He always has the best amazing answers. Like, just blows your mind. And people still hated him. People still hated him. Right? So they have these people that hate Jesus. So so have we lost hope? Have we lost hope with these haters? No. There's still hope for Jesus haters. I think it's safe to say this. People are people. You ever notice that? Like wherever you go, people are people, right? Good, bad, and indifferent. People are people. And here's another fact. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news. Some people are going to reject it. And some people are going to receive it. And our job is to share it with people. And it's up to God, the results. Our job is to share it. Now, some will receive it. And that's what, that's what should fire us up. That's why we should show up to share fest. Some will receive it. Look, some will reject it. We shouldn't take it personally and let it stop us. But we should keep sharing it. Because that's what we're here to do. Now, you might say, how do we do this? How do we share the gospel? Here's some thoughts of what I see Jesus doing so far in this, in this gospel of John. I see Jesus loving people. Do you guys see that? I, just, I see Jesus being friends with people, friendly to people, kind to people. I see that. I see Jesus serving people. He's healing some people. He's serving people. And I see people sharing the good news with, I, I see Jesus sharing the good news with people. Here's my suggestion. Let's do that. Let's love people. Let's be kind to people. Let's be friendly to people. Let's serve people. Let's look for opportunities to point people to Jesus and talk about this Jesus and how great he is and what he's done in our own lives. And let's let God handle the rest. There's still hope for unbelievers. So you have people who hate Jesus. The next thing you're going to see, there's those who love the world. They don't hate Jesus, they just love the world. Right? And we'll see this in John 7, 3 through 9. He says, So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, right? There's two regions, right? Galilee, the region, and Judea. They're saying, leave Galilee and go to Judea. Because the, uh, and he goes, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. Now, what happens in John chapter 6? What happens is John chapter 6 is unique. Jesus is becoming wildly popular. He goes to this rural area. All these people leave what they're supposed to do on that day, right? They're, they're busy too. And they all leave, like 15,000 of them. 
They all leave and they go to this area to listen to Jesus preach all day. Right? And they haven't even brought lunch or anything like that. And then, and then, and then Jesus, like, he feeds them all and they're all excited. And then he bails when they want to make him king. And then the next thing he does is he takes this group of 15,000 and he, he preaches this persuasive uh, apologetics uh, sermon and he dwindles it down to like maybe a handful of hundred. That's how effective it was, right? Now you have this small group who, who because he says, I'm the bread of life, and they're like, whoa, that's weird. I don't want to do that, right? So Jesus, that's his apologetic, and they all bail. And then he says, not only that, but you have to eat my body and drink my blood. Now he goes down to 12. He goes from 100, and he goes to 12. And at the end, he goes, yeah, there's 12 of you left. Does any of you guys want to leave? No, we have nowhere else to go. And he goes, actually, there's still one left. One of you guys is going to betray me. We're going to become 11. Clap it up for 11. Revival, guys. That's John, that's John chapter 6. Right? And now we're, now, we're, now we're here, and we have his brothers. And his brothers are responding to Jesus because they've seen all this. And they're like, here, let me give you some advice, dude. Like, yeah, keep doing the miracles things. People love that. But stop saying you're God. People don't like that. Right? That's pretty much what we got going on. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. For you, you do these things. Uh, if you do these things, show them to the world. And this is the key. Verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. But your time is always here. YOLO for you guys, not for me. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. They don't like what he's saying about them. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After this, he remained in Galilee, this region. Some things we see here is this. First of all, Jesus had at least four brothers. I don't know if you guys knew that. He had at least four brothers, right? It was uh, Joseph, it was Simon, it was James, and it was Judas, known Jude, right? And here, halfway through his ministry, they do not believe in him. And he also had some sisters. That's what it says. And they weren't a very rich family, right? And so you got to just put yourself into this. How did they grow up? They grew up probably in a small house. I doubt they had 12 rooms or however many brothers and sisters, right? So they all stayed in the same room, right? And, and, and they knew Jesus. He started his ministry at 30 years old. They lived with him in the same room for a long time, right? And here, in the middle of his ministry, they don't believe he's God. Why? Didn't, you ever think about this? Didn't Mary, who did Mary and Joseph tell about all the crazy, amazing things that happened, right? The immaculate birth. Who did they tell? Think about this. Who would you have told? Jesus is born, and right away they have to flee to Egypt. So they have to leave right away, and now they're going to this rural place. You're not going to walk into Egypt. You have history of your Jewish in Egypt. You are not going to walk into Egypt and go, check out my son. He was born a virgin. You're not going to say that, right? And then, after a time, he comes back to his people. Now, you don't just walk in all of a sudden. It would become awkward. And then as time went on, right? And you think about if you, if you guys have kids, you ever have the talk with your kids? It's awkward right? You know what would be more awkward than having the talk with your kids? Having the talk about how your brother's God. That would be awkward, and I don't, they just never did. And over, over time, they, 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 they grew up with Jesus. They thought he was a great brother, and now we see him doing miracles. We believe that. Wait, he's claiming to be God? He's my brother. What would you do? 
right? And they don't believe. They don't get it. And Jesus points out that there's a bigger issue here, that the reason why they don't get it is because, because they're, they're, they're connected with the world too much. They're connected with the world. They love the world. They're distracted by the world. They're a part of the world too much to be able to see who Jesus really is. They're too close to him, maybe. Cool thing is, is later they believe. Later they believe. This is one of the greatest evidence that Jesus was who he says he was. Because you can fool a lot of people, you cannot fool your brothers. And they believe. Two of them wrote Jude, one of the books of the New Testament, and James. Those are written by Jesus' brothers. A great testimony. If you could convince your brothers, you probably got something going on. Now, now the world... When the Bible talks about the world, it's any mindset opposed to following Jesus, right? So to love the world, obviously, is to oppose Jesus. If you love Jesus, then you'll be a, you'll be, you're, you're, you're leaving the world, right? Because the world is what opposes Jesus, okay? That's what he's talking about here. The world is what oppose, opposes Jesus, right? And Jesus says literally, why can't the world hate them? The world can't hate you. Why can't the world hate them? Because they're a part of it. Right? Jesus will say that in John 15. He'll say, I'm not of the world, right? and the world hates me. And he's saying to followers, if you follow me, the world, those who oppose Jesus, are going to hate you because of me. Right? So you either love Jesus or you, or you love the world, but you can't, have, you can't love both. That's what the New Testament's talking about because they're you know, opposition in worldviews. They're, they're two opposing worldviews. Either Jesus is a man who did miracles and claimed to be God and was God, or he's a man who did miracles and claimed to be God and he was nuts. It's really your only two options. So, so the world is this mindset opposed to following Jesus. Now, here's the thing about wor- people who love the world. People who love the world give worldly advice. People who love the world give worldly advice, and that's exactly what his brothers do. They say, hey, look, here, let me give you some advice. You've dwindled down to 12, and you've even offended one of those. Um, well, here's the thing. Why don't you go to this Feast of Sukkot, right? It's happening right now. Josephus, that, that historian, said Sukkot was the most popular of all of the feasts during Jesus' time. It was the most well-attended. They loved it. It was like a harvest festival, and they loved it, right? It was more thinking about the future, and they were loved look, t- talking about the future, right? That was Sukkot, okay? And, and they're saying... If you're doing these miracles, we've seen you do miracles. Go do those miracles. You can hear them saying, go do those miracles in Jerusalem where all the people are, and they'll get excited again. Just stop talking about all the weird stuff. That's pretty much what they're saying to him. Worldly people give worldly advice. That makes sense if his goal was to be a big superstar, right? Now, have any of you guys ever noticed that worldly people give worldly advice? And I just have to stop and say this. You have to be careful who you listen to, right? Some of you guys are going through a hard time in your marriage. You talk to the wrong person. like, just leave them. You don't have to take that. Just leave her, you know what I mean? Worldly people give worldly advice. You got to be careful. And Jesus is able, his brothers give him worldly advice. He's able to skirt it. It's a great lesson we can learn from Jesus, not to take worldly advice, right? And he's saying, even deeper, not following Christ equals aimlessness in God's eyes. How does he say that? He goes like this. He goes, look, it's not my time to go there. And he goes, You're, you guys can go there whenever you want. Your time's always here. What is he saying? He's saying this. I believe he's saying this. He's saying, if you're not following Jesus, 
than anything else. Who cares? If you're not following Jesus, whatever you do is just aimless. If, if that's the target, if the target is following Jesus, which that's what Jesus is saying, if you go over here, you go over here, you go over here, it's the same. You're missing. So who cares? Your time is whenever. Now, I had an interesting moment with the Lord with this one day when I was uh, going through the fire academy, married, had two, our, both our kids. They were both young. Uh, Kaylee was just a baby, and I was working full-time and going to the fire academy, drive out to the 405, completely exhausted, tired, wasn't spending any time with the Lord, really, because I just didn't have time, right? You ever been like that? I'm just too busy, right? And, and I just kind of withered away. I was driving out one day on the 405, and I remember I was so frustrated and tired, I, I literally yelled at God, why are you making me do this? And I almost, not audibly, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm doing miracles and I'm not claiming to be God. And I'm not saying I heard God's voice audibly. But, but it was as if God was speaking to me because I just, I just, it just hit me, like the foolishness of what I was saying. And I thought, it doesn't really matter really. I'm, I'm so far away from God. Like if, if I was to be a pastor right now, I'd be useless. If I was to be a fireman, I'd be useless. No matter what I do, if I'm not putting that first, it's, it's aimless, right? That's what Jesus is saying to his brothers. It's like, you, until you guys are following me, whatever, just do whatever you want. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? Paul even said that. If Jesus isn't the one that we're supposed to follow, eat, drink, and be merry. That's YOLO. Jesus affirmed, and Paul affirmed YOLO if, if Jesus isn't God. But if he is, but if he is. So, so haters, we got haters we got those who love the world, or you could say they're just distracted by the world. Maybe they don't, they don't think about it that way. They're, just in, they're so involved with the world that they can't see beyond the world is what these people are, right? And then we see those who have questions. Those who have questions. You guys are starting to see, like, that's still the way people react to Jesus today. Some hate him. Some are just so distracted. They don't even give him any, you know, they, don't, they, don't, they don't can't see who he is. And then some have legitimate questions. But after this, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he is a good man. Others said, nope, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. So, so understandably, people have questions, and they're good questions. Who is Jesus? The question here is, who is this Jesus, right? Everyone's talking about him, but who is he really? I get all these different opinions, all these different stories. Who is this guy, right? Now, here's the one thing in here that's foolish. It's foolish, I believe, the first answer. The more foolish, it's more, it makes more sense to say he's deceiving people. But the foolish one is to say he's a good man. There's no way he's a good man. He's either way more than a good man. I mean, he's claiming to be God. God, here, here's probably the chart. Good, like, like bad man, pretty good, okay man, good man, great man. I can't reach up to God, right? He's, he's more than a good man. Or, or what is he? He's claiming to be God. He's either deceiver or he's certifiably insane. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I, I work on the fire department, and I work down in Santa Ana, and there's a huge homeless population. And I want to be very careful. I'm very compassionate towards mentally ill. 
and I, I don't want to poke fun at it at all, and this is not poking fun of it. But there's a guy, whenever I go on a call on this area called Civic Center, there's lots of homes. Like think about Skid Row, that's what it's like, right? And I've never, we've never been called out for him, right? But, but he's always there. When we walk by him, and just to give you a mental picture, this is not making fun of him, literally, he wears his underpants on the outside of his sweatpants, and he has a tinfoil hat, right? It's like the stereotypical, right? And you walk by him, and he loves to claim, I'm, don't walk by me, I'm God. I'm going to kick you off the planet. Now, I'm compassionate towards that man, right? But I'm not going to worship him. There's no way he's going to convince me that he's literally God, and I have no fear that he's going to kick me off the planet, right? He's not a good man. He's a troubled man. Now, who's Jesus? Is he that? I think it's hard to say that he's that when you look honestly at, at what he's doing and the way that he acts, the way that he answers people, the way he treats people. Is he, is he insane? My conclusion is he must be God, exactly who he's claiming to be. But not everybody feels that way. But at least this, the second one is this. They're saying if he is not God, then he's a fraud. He's leading people astray. If he's not God, then he's a fraud. No good man about it. He's either one or the other. But here's something that I've learned. I think it's good to ask questions. Here's an application it's good to ask questions, but I would retort your question with this question. What's the purpose of your questioning? See, some people have questions about Jesus that I've met, but they're not really trying to figure out who he is. They're hiding behind their questions. They're trying to figure out a way to not believe. They're not trying to figure out if it's true. They're trying to figure out how they can get you to stop talking about him or, or, or how do they don't have to, they can stop thinking about it, right? What are your questions? I met with an agnostic, agnostic young man uh, uh, about a month ago and, and we was asking all these good questions in the Bible, this and that and that and I, and I, and I kept answering them and then I became, I came to realize like, like we're getting nowhere and I stopped and I asked him this. I said, if I answered all of your questions convincingly, would you believe? He, s- he goes, no. I go, what would it take to make you believe? He said, I have no idea. He's not asking questions because he wants to know. He's dodging the real question. (laughs) Is Jesus God and are you going to follow him? What are you going to do with that, right? So what are your questions? The typical postmodern issue is, is, right, is I got more questions than I got answers. And that's called spirituality now. I'm deeply spiritual because I have more questions than I have answers. But that's fine. You had a lot of questions. But I I always retort with this. What's the purpose of your questions? If you got the answer to your question, what would you do with it? Nothing. I just just like like having more questions than answers. Why? Because then I'm not accountable to those answers. (laughs) Right? Is that the issue? Is that the real issue? For some people it is. But we see these people, they have questions. And then we see Jesus get up, and he's going to speak publicly to these people. He's he's all of a sudden, about halfway through the week, he's going to speak publicly. Now we're going to see responses to Jesus' teaching. Before before we we see responses to Jesus' reputation, now we're going to see responses to Jesus' actual teaching. Verse 14, it says, About the middle of the feast, about the middle of the week, it's a uh, uh, seven-day feast, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. 
The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied, right? He never followed a rabbi. He never went to Biola. He's just a normal guy. He was like a carpenter. We heard about him. He was a carpenter, right? How's he, how's he so smart when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, it's but, but it is his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own, uh, on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. In other words, uh, opposed to what his brothers think, Jesus is like, I'm not trying to get glory here on earth. I'm not trying to get people to like me. I'm not, I'm not trying to get people to, to follow me and to, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to draw big crowds. I'm trying to point people to the fact that they need me. They need me. They need what I'm saying. They need to eat my body and drink my blood. That's what I'm trying to, I, I want them to be reconciled to God. I don't want them to follow me here on earth. I want them reconciled to God. And nothing less than that makes me excited about this, right? So Jesus, they, we, we see first that some were impressed. Some were impressed. They go, they marveled at him, right? Jesus is teaching, and he's not teaching like a certified, he's not, he's not, didn't sound insane. He sounds wise. He's speaking with authority. He's making sense. And they're like, I don't understand. How could this be? He didn't follow anybody. He didn't go to any school. Who is this guy? Right? And they're impressed. At least he made an impression on them. He made an impression on everybody. But then Jesus, it's not enough for them to just be impressed. Jesus asked them to take a step further, doesn't he? It's not enough for you to just see me as a moral teacher. He, he, he won't allow them to stay there. He's going to draw them deeper. It's not enough. It's not enough to just, he's, he's asking them to take a step further. And then we see that in his teaching, he's claiming that in his teaching, that, that his teaching is God's word. He's saying, what I'm saying has the authority of God's words. What I'm saying is God's word. Now, here's the thing. It's not enough to, to state that Jesus is a good moral teacher. And here's the other thing. If you are reading the scriptures and what Jesus says, and you disagree with Jesus, what do you do with that? It's a good question. Because a lot of people are like, I'll follow Jesus, but like, I don't know about this one thing that he says. Do I have to follow that? No, if you, some, you're reading it and you're going, I don't like what Jesus says here. You ever do that? I do all the time. I was reading through the, the in, our, in our time through Matthew, and I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, if you're, if you're reading the Bible, just be honest here. Can we be honest for a second? If you're reading through the Bible honestly, and you don't ever just get PO'd, something's wrong with you. It's frustrating sometimes. Sometimes you're reading and you're like, I don't understand this. Why would you say that? I don't get it. But I always know this. Either I don't understand it correctly, or I'm the one that's wrong. Because Jesus' word is God's word. Now here's the thing. If Jesus is God, we can't compare the way we feel, right? We don't, we don't, we don't compare what he says based on the way we feel, right? We don't compare what he says based on how we feel about it. We compare how we feel based on 
what he says. Right? It reorients us. That's what he's saying. They don't like him because they don't want to be reoriented. And we see in here, he said, is your desire to obey Jesus' teaching? He said, if you really want to know, if you're really asking these questions because you want to obey me, then he, yeah, then all right. Here's, what, here's the truth, right? He's always willing to tell you the truth. But when, when, he, when, you, when you hear the truth, what do you do with it? Is it your desire to obey Jesus? And we'll have the worship team come back up. We see this, some got angry. Verse 19 through 24. Says not Moses, uh, he goes, has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law, why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon, who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did not work, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because of the sa- on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So some got angry. Why? Because Jesus is claiming to be the only way. He's claiming to be the only way. And he does it like this. He says, look, you guys think that by following Moses' laws, you're going to be right with God, yet, yet, None of you follows Moses' laws perfectly. So by your own understanding, you guys must all be far from God, right? Right? He's saying what you believe accuses you. Why would you believe that? No, there must be something more. He's saying I'm that something. You need Jesus doing good enough. Now some people would think like, I was watching Sopranos the other day. I know it's, I know it's, it's old school, but I'd never seen it before. And they were watching it. I walked in and the guy, the chief, I don't know what the head guy what was, the dad Soprano whatever. He's talking to his counselor and she says, do you think you're going to go to hell? I mean, he's a mobster, right? He's killing all these people. Do you think you're going to go to hell? He goes, of course not. He goes, well, who goes to hell? And he goes, and he's, and he's this Irish Catholic, you know, mobster, right? He's done all these bad things and he knows it. And he's like, that's for like, like really bad people. But I'm not like that. I'm pretty good, right? Like, I just, I'm, I'm caught up in this thing. We all know the stakes. That's what he says. And, and he's re-justified it. And I'm a good guy. I'm going to heaven. Well, Jesus would go like, hey, Mr. Soprano, not on your own works, you're not. But guess what? He's also going to the Pharisees who think they're great. Not on your own works, you're not. Everybody's in the same playing field that he's speaking to. We all have one thing in common. We all need Jesus. And he's saying, I'm here, but you need to know first, you need me. You need to turn to me. And then I'll receive you. But if you reject me, if you reject that, then there's really no hope for you. That's what he's saying. And Jesus is revealing their hypocrisy. He's saying, look, you guys are making this out to be like, I'm the bad guy because I healed one guy on the Sabbath. And you say, you're not allowed to do that. But you yourselves, you circumcise kids when they're eight days old. Now, here's some facts about math. I'm horrible at math, but I know this. If every seven days is the Sabbath, and, if, and, and every once in a while, a child is going to be born where right, a day before the Sabbath, and that means on the eighth day, it's going to be the Sabbath and the day he's supposed to be circumcised. What do you do? Now we have to choose. Do I f- break the Sabbath by doing work and doing this circumcision? And because and Moses says that, or do I, what do I do? And they've chosen to circumcise on the Sabbath. He's like, you hypocrites, you do that, but then you're, you're, you're getting all 
bent out of shape because I healed the whole body? You're hypocrites, he's saying. And they were. And they didn't know what to say. And then Jesus is calling them to change. He says, do not judge by appearances, but with right judgment. Now the rest we're going to pick up tomorrow, because this is a connected story. Next, next, next week we'll pick up the rest. But so what? Here's my question. I think it's very clear if you, if you, if with an honest look at the scriptures reveals that Jesus was a man who did miracles and claimed to be God. What will you do with that? What will you do with that? And for those of you here who, who maybe for the first time you're thinking, you know, maybe I need to really rethink this Jesus guy. Awesome. That's what he's asking you to do. Rethink about it with clear judgment. Think about these things. It really doesn't leave a whole lot of options. Either he's a man who did miracles and claimed to be God and he was nuts or a deceiver or he really is God. And if he is God, what will you do with that? Do you believe what he said? Because the things he said call us to repent. They call us to realize that we can't make it to God on our own. We need Christ. We needed him to die on the cross. All of us. Will you turn to him? And even more than that, I was thinking about this as we were praying. Seven, about 600 years before Jesus, this guy Jeremiah writes, and he, and he gives this picture of, 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 of living for God and the way that God works in our lives. And, and God is the potter and we're the clay. You ever heard that? God's the potter and we're the clay. You guys ever seen a potter's wheel? This potter's wheel is going, right? And that's how a, a, a potter works. You put the clay in the center of the potter's wheel. It spins. It doesn't look like a whole lot, like a big blob, like, you know, it's like, like some of you guys. And then the hand, the hand starts working in there, right? And it goes up and it goes down. It goes all over the place, kind of like our lives, right? But anytime, anytime it's in the center, there's always hope, right? Because it's in the potter's hands. But what happens when it gets off center? It gets cattywampus, doesn't it? And you got to stop the wheel. You got to recenter it. And you got to start all over. I wonder because here's the thing: in seasons of life, you have a you have a baby, you get a new job, you move. Anything that happens in your life, right? Just like we were talking about the dedication, it, it, the tendency is we get off center, and then we wonder why we're cattywampus. And the reason is because. In every season of our life, our responsibility is to figure out how to put him in the center. And when he gets off center, sometimes we just need to stop. Say, Lord, stop everything. Go ahead and take me. Recenter me. And get back to work on me. And I just wonder as we enter into worship, is there anybody here who this morning needs to just say, okay, stop. God, you are God. I am not. I'm off center. I just want you to stop and put me back in the center. And I want, I want, to, I want to let you take over again. And if that's you, I just invite you to stand up and I want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have you. 
Your word makes it clear that we need you, and your word also makes it clear that we have you, that you've come, that you've made yourself known to us, that you've reached out to us, that you came, that you died for us, so that we can nail all of our sin, past, present, and future, we can nail it to the cross, so that at any moment we can repent and return to you, so that at any moment we could say, just stop, and we can ask you to take our lives to put us right back in the center of your wheel and to have your way with us and for those of us who have stand and many of us who 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 thought about standing but didn't but now they're rethinking it god we just we just offer ourselves to you humbly say have your way with us put yourself in the center of our lives and we pray this in jesus name amen